The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. It's a live edition of One Royal Way, brought to you by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Go and check them out down at Homefield Olathe if you know of a baseball or softball player in the area that needs a place to train and help them be their best. We are live tonight because Major League Baseball is back. The lockout is over. An agreement was came to today between the Players Association and the owners. So it's rocking business as usual now to help me talk about it. My name is Joel Penfield, and I am joined by Alex Duvall of Royals Farm Report, my co-host on the other show uh, here at KCSN. Alex, what's good, man? I am jazzed up. That song that was playing during like the 60 second countdown I was dancing to like I was I was ready to roll already. And then the song got me fired up. So baseball is back. Jeff Passan is back. What an epic like return to Twitter by Jeff Passan earlier. I saw that and about did a bat flip in my living room. I was just I was so fired up to have baseball and Jeff Passan back at the same time. So what a what an arc of a day for him. Like for those that that follow baseball, you know, like Jeff is the goat. Like he he's the guy that whenever news breaks, you know it's you know it's real and it's legit. And about I don't know ten o'clock this morning, maybe he he gets hacked by some NFT account that starts going off, and we're all like, oh no, if Jeff is gone, what are we all gonna do here? I know there's other reporters, but Jeff is the guy. And then it all comes back around about two fifteen Central Time. He's the one that ends up tweeting out the news per his sources that the PA and the owners came to a deal. I know John Heyman and some others were tweeting every little detail, and he's the one that ends up breaking it. Felt very fitting, and also a local Kansas City guy as well. So, like that even more. Yeah, that was like one of the funniest hacks I've seen in a while, too, just because mm-hmm. of the nature A, of the timing of it, B, the nature of who hacked him, which was outstanding i just the whole the whole afternoon like what a great day to have a snow day by the way because yeah we had not had a snow day today i would have been sitting in class not paying attention to my phone computer the internet and i would have missed like half of the beginning of all this today so great day for a snow day could not have like could not have put it all together better uh for myself personally yeah, I was working from home today and I was constantly checking stuff as I'm, I'm going through my day. And eventually it got to a point once I saw that tweet go down, like work went out the window. And I'm sure I'm not alone with baseball fans in general that once they saw that MLB is officially back and we're not getting teased or, you know, we're not getting got by any sort of, you know, nar- you know narrative pushed, you know, reports or source leaks that we actually have some finality to the lockout that nearly reached 100 days. It's done now, and we're and the best part of this too is we are getting a full season. We are still going to get a full 162 game Major League Baseball season. The week is the season is starting a week later than normal, but they have d- agreed to still get in a full 162, a couple extra double headers here and there to make up for it. But for the most part, we're rocking business as usual for the Major League Baseball season, guys. I believe the mandatory. Uh, date to be in uh, Arizona or Florida is within three days. I think spring training games will start within the next week, and we're off and rolling. Yeah, Sunday is the mandatory report date. Players can report as early as they would like. Um, The Royals play April 8th. The Major League season begins April 7th. I'm fired up. The Cleveland Guardians, the first game as the Guardians, will be in Kansas City Friday night, 7-10 p.m., Kauffman Stadium, I am jazzed up. I cannot wait. It's a week later than we thought, but we've been, you know, you and I have maintained all offseason. I didn't think they were going to miss games. They've never missed Major League Baseball games. 
due to a lockout. They have first strike, never a lockout. That will continue into 2022. It's a week late, but I would rather have a full slate than uh, be on time at this point if it meant losing games. So jazzed up, ready to go. Um, I, I, You can't tell me nothing right now. Because Seriously. No, I am. Yeah, you can't tell me nothing right now. I am <laughs> so glad they were able to come to some sort of agreement to get 162 in because if they decided to delay the season further and you're playing 145 games, for instance, it's going to get, it was still going to get ugly because players were going to start to negotiate like, okay, well, how much of my salary am I getting? Am I getting it for a full season? Am I, you know, and that would have been a whole nother mess. So to be able to figure out things late last night and into today to, and you know, up until the, the middle of the afternoon today uh, to get that deal done, we're not we're not having to mess with this anymore. The players were able to get some some stuff on their end. The owners were able to continue to you know help their bottom line and you know something that matters to them obviously. So the final details they were able there's some new stuff with this the pre arbitration pool they were able to agree on 50 million for that. Uh, that is for guys that like rookies that you know or whoever that can't reach arbitration yet that obviously deserve a pay raise over the seven hundred thousand dollars. Uh, that is the new minimum salary uh, going into 2022. So guys like Wander Franco can make more than league minimum, basically, is what that is for. So like a Bobby Witt Jr., for instance, like they're for, you know, they're not going to make that 700K for much longer. They'll be able to get a little more uh, pre-arb than they would uh, having to wait until year four. Uh, the collective, uh, was it the competitive balance tax, which is essentially the luxury tax, they're able to compromise there starting at $230 million. So payroll anything over that there's tax to it and that's going to continue to go up as inflation goes up uh, but they were able to actually compromise on those numbers what a concept that is uh, universal dh is in which we've been waiting for for way too long uh, 12 team expanded playoff i'm kind of iffy on that but what i it got to a point where i was like whatever it takes to get a deal done i'm fine with and then the six pick draft lottery so it'll work like the nba for the top six teams what are some of your thoughts on some of these, at least the economic side uh, of all of this with what was able to get agreed upon? The minimum salary had to come up, right? Minimum yes. salary is way too low, especially compared to other professional sports. Being down in the 500,000 range is, is was entirely too low. So the, the minimum salary, I'm looking at it right here, $700,000 year one, and it goes 720, 740, 760. will be all the way up to 780,000 in year five of the new CBA, which is, that was a must. Honestly, in the next CBA, I could see the minimum salary approaching a million dollars, which is mm -hmm. about right, right? I mean, anybody yeah. who's spending a full year in Major League Baseball is probably deserving of somewhere close, if not right at a million dollars. The one thing I am a little disappointed in is to see that the, the June draft is going to be probably permanently 20 rounds. You know, I, I was thinking back to, a thread that former Royals prospect Grant Gavin tweeted out about how he may not have gotten a chance um, in a 20-round draft. Gavin was drafted in the 29th round, made it all the way to Omaha, was the pitcher of the year at two different levels for the Royals. He is now – he was drafted in the minor league Rule 5 portion um, this past offseason and will be with the Padres this next coming year. But, you know, guys like that, Drod Dyson in a 20-round draft, yep. probably never plays professional baseball. So – the intrigue of minor league baseball, the intrigue of professional baseball came with the draft, came with all of the opportunities that that the CBA allowed for. So to see that the draft is shrinking, I'm, I'm a little concerned about what that means moving forward for some of these guys. Nate Webb was a 30-something overall pick. Some, or I'm sorry, a 30th-something round pick. Um, ends up getting on the Royals 40-man roster this last offseason. So, man, I, I hate that the draft is shortened, but I am glad, like you said, at this point, get the CBA agreed to. And if we, if we feel the need to add rounds later, we can. The other thing did the Edward Olivares rule. Yes. Uh, you can only option one. players five times. Now you can, they can agree to be optioned more than five times, but you cannot force them to be optioned more than five times. So those are some big things that I was paying attention to in the CBA that I'm, you know, glad got worked out, including the banning of the shift, which I want to make sure we talk about later. Okay. i you know, we absolutely can. And I wanted to get into that. Next, but then I'm looking through uh, Mark Feinsand from uh, from MLB.com was talking. He kind of had a thread of all this, you know, just little things breaking down what we saw. And the main, one of the things he talked about was the international draft. And I want to get your thoughts on this too, because this was the big hangup. Uh, if you're following this on uh, Wednesday, 
this was the like, or it ended up being the thing that kind of the that MLB and the owners threw in at the last second to try and make I don't know sway things in, in any way. And I think at the heart of what they're trying to do, I understand it, but they have to have some. There has to be some runway with it, and that's been the the main thing with the players is okay. We can look at this, but it's we got to go a couple years down the road. There is so much money investment and jobs that come with the like international uh camps and uh, facilities in the dominican republic and other you know countries in latin america that we have to figure out some way to do this so you know to so that the economy in that area can go like because baseball is such a part of the livelihood of those areas that that's something we have to do yeah the international draft i think has been inevitable for a while now yes the, the details of it honestly up until now we don't really know i think the so right now there's an international signing bonus pool, right? And so you have X amount of dollars that you can spend on international free agents. The way it will look is a draft probably most closely similar to the June draft for stateside players. The one thing I'm, I will be curious to see moving forward, how much of that international bonus pool ends up becoming part of a draft pool and how much of that draft pool will be most closely similar related to like the June bonus pools, right? So if Bobby Witt Jr. is getting seven point some million dollars as the number two overall pick in the June draft, what would, let's say, Eric Pena get as the number two or number three overall pick in an international draft get, right? A player of that caliber. So um, I think Eric Pena got three million and some change, which was one of the biggest, if not the biggest um, international free agent contract the Royals had ever given out. So Will those salaries begin to meet each other? Will the Royals and other teams that spend more money on international free agents will it be less? I don't know, but that's kind of the last thing in the way of really knowing what this international draft process will look like long term. Yeah, and there's still a ton of unknown with it because it was something that was just brought up yesterday. It seemed, at least to the public, within these negotiations. So, there, there. I think they have until. I think it's July 25th, I believe was what it was agreed upon for the Players Association to gather more information and then talk about, uh, get re- reconvened with the owners regarding uh, what they how they want to go about this. And I know it's tied to the qualifying offer uh, somewhere in there. I'm not smart enough to try and figure out how, uh, but that seems to be the direction they're heading right now. And like I mentioned with some of this other stuff, like as long as they were able to get a deal done, I could give a damn. I just <laughs> I just wanted there to be a deal done and in place and they can figure it out because they're way freaking smarter than me trying to do this. So let's talk about the rule changes. And all these rule changes are coming in 2023, I believe. So uh, we don't have to worry about them this year, but it is going to change what baseball looks like to a degree, at least in the modern game. Uh, larger bases to me is a no-brainer. Player, from a player safety perspective, it makes a ton of sense, especially for like bang bang plays at first base, sliding into bases, you know, hand first, less opportunity to get cleated, jammed, anything like that. Uh, pitch clock is coming, which again kind of feels inevitable. They do it at the minor league level, and I know they do it in college as well, and it you don't really notice it. Shifts are going away in, I don't know, in some form or fashion or just entirely. And then uh, rubble lumps as well, the automatic ball and strike zone. What are some of your thoughts on here? I know you specifically want to talk about the shift. I'll, I'll give you the floor for that. Let's let's save the shift for last because I might get lost in that one. The The pitch clock is interesting to me because I don't inherently have any problems with it. I actually think yeah. the pitch clock is, is semi-reasonable in a lot of ways. I think it's the, the problem with it is, though, that there are already rules in place that enforce stuff like this. The umpire has the ability to call a ball or a strike based on the hitters or pitchers taking too long right now. Like if the hitter won't get in the box, the umpire can go strike one without a pitch being thrown. The yep. umpire has the ability to do that, and they don't. So like I'm wondering how closely are we going to enforce this? Because I, I get it. The pitchers, they're like, was it Pedro Baez who takes forever for the Dodgers, like 30 seconds between pitches? He's, he's a human rain delay. Right. Okay. So I, I get it. But like there are some hitters. Think about no more Garcia Parra steps out. I mean, how long can we take as a hitter, right? Do, do the hitters have to abide by the pitch clock? If a pitcher is on the mound waiting for a hitter, are we going to, like, penalize the hitter in any way? I think there there's a little bit of back and forth there, some give and take that goes with the pitch clock, but I'm okay with that. Um, the bases being larger, honestly, 
I know people laugh when I bring this up sometimes, but the way that softball does it and they have the extra base and foul territory. Yeah, the orange bag and foul, and foul there's, territory. There's no reason to have an area this big for players to two players to try to step on at once, right? Yep. First baseman go back, they missed the bag. Now they get spiked. It happened to me when I was in high school, had a cleat go through my Achilles, right? I mean, there's just there's no reason for any of that to be necessary on the one bag on the field where players aren't typically sliding into, right? So Right. Give it, give, make it a bigger bag just for the, the, the ankles of the players who are running into it. Right. So right. I think they could even go further with the, with the bigger bases, the next CBA. And then the shift, I tweeted something out earlier today that the NFL has rules about players downfield, right? Like you can't just send the right tackle and the left tackle downfield, have seven receivers running around because it would be a mess. It would be chaotic for the visual the, the aesthetic part of football and for the schematic parts of football. Tennis, you can't just serve it wherever you want. you got to pick a half of the court because it would be too hard to cover all the parts of the court. Soccer and hockey have offsides and icing. Basketball has three in the key. Like every other sport on earth has rules about where you can be and when. Baseball, by banning the shift, is just fitting in with the time. I don't see a problem with this. Uh, if you don't like it, if you think, well, the hitters should just go the other way, well, maybe pitchers should just easy. throw the ball better. Yeah. Maybe the pitcher should just be better at their job, right? And they can prevent hitters from hitting home runs and hitting the ball to the to the right side or left side, right? Just be better at your job. Like you can say this about literally anything. Just be better at your job. Maybe second baseman should just have more range, right? So I think banning the shift is more than fine. We're we're behind the eight ball in that regard, I think, and having not banned it already. Um, and, and it creates a better brand of baseball. Like with football, they have created rules to make the game easier for quarterbacks. That is objective. You can't touch their knees. You can't touch their feet. You can't touch their hips. You can't touch their necks or heads. You have like a very small target to hit the quarterback so that the quarterbacks are more comfortable in the pocket and can make better, cooler plays down the field. It, by banning the shift for, let's say, a Ryan O'Hearn, Vinny Pasquantino type, you are incentivizing them to go ahead and swing for the fences because home runs are cool. And if they mess up, if they miss a ground ball through the right side, a single is way more fun than watching him beat the ball into the shift again. Like make the game more accessible for your stars, make it easier for your stars who will then carry the game forward for you into the next generation. Right. I am more than okay with this. Get bigger, hit the ball further. I know there are some who are like, well, what's wrong with Nikki Lopez types? Nothing. I'm saying we should make it easier for Ryan O'Hearn and Joey Gallo and Vinny Pasquantino to look like Nikki Lopez by banning the shift. So I'm all for it. Get rid of it. Make the game easier for the offense. Every other rule in the book is rigged in favor of pitchers. So make the game easier for the hitters in one regard in any rule book. Yeah, I I kind of go back and forth on the the whole idea of the shift. Like I understand it from a like a strategy perspective. I, I think that's my only argument with banning the shift is I feel like it is discouraging, discouraging strategy to a degree. Uh, I'm not all in on that argument, but I, I can understand it. And that's, that's my, at least my, my main point, but I understand the thought of it has basically made baseball one dimensional and the three true outcomes. And there are hit, there've been hitters like that uh, throughout all eras of baseball of guys that are going to walk, they're going to strike out, they're going to hit home runs, but that's, at least 30 to 40% of hitters, at least that's what it's becoming. And there are way too many in a lineup that it is a very honest, it's not an aesthetically pleasing uh, game to watch. Home runs are cool, but watching a dozen strikeouts a night isn't. Uh, it may be nice for if you like a really good, you know, watching really good pitching, but not necessarily just watching guys beat the ball to the right side or to the left side where there are four guys standing over there, you know, just right there for it. So, I wonder if there'll be a way to try and find some sort of compromise with it to where like, okay, you can still shade that way, but you can't have more than three defenders on one side of second base, or you can't be more than X amount of feet into the the outfield or something. If you still want to play a heavy pole guy that way, I, I think there's going to be some sort of caveats. There's still gonna be some sort of caveats with it uh, to make sure that, you know, you're not discouraging strategy. And if you want to try and exploit a hitter, then you're more than welcome to, and not just stand there at your normal position. Yeah, the, the one like happy medium that I've seen that I really like is, okay, you can move all your infielders to one side of the infield if you want, but they have to have their feet on the dirt. Like yeah. We're not going to play slow-pitch softball rovers, rovers in the left center field. Mm -hmm. We're not going to do that anymore. 
Yeah, you no more, man, no more Manny third. Machado basically playing right field. Correct. And you can't have four outfielders. Like, you yep. cannot put four guys in the outfield. So, I know teams do that to Joey Gallo some, too, where it's three infielders on one side, four outfielders. You got to have four guys on the dirt. You got to have three guys in the grass, and that's the way it's going to be. And I think that's I think that would be a happy median as opposed to just totally banning the shift altogether. Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I think for the most part, there'll, there'll be some sort of compromise with it. With the pitch clock, the official rules of baseball say that it should be 12 seconds in between pitches. That's what the umpires are supposed to adhere by, and they they don't. Sometimes it's 30, 40 seconds. Sometimes it's 20. So I think having some sort of uniform actual thing, you know, clock there to keep the game moving, I'm fine with. I know Manford has been banging the table about pace of play forever. Whether he likes the game or not is a whole other story, but I think this is a tangible way to actually try and have pace of play make sense in an actual way and not just, speed it you know just speed it up just speed it up well in what way this is a tangible way to do that and for the most part you don't really notice it i've gone to many college games i've gone to a bunch of minor league games where there's been a pitch clock for many years now you you don't notice it by the third inning. you'll see the clock sitting out there you're not watching it intently every single time to see if the pitcher's actually going to do it and there's still exploits to that too the pitcher can step off or the batter steps out of the box and the clock restarts. So there's still going to be issues with pace of play if there, there's going to be exploits. Baseball is a game where you try and exploit any single little thing that you can to gain any sort of advantage. We've seen that in every sort of facet over the history of the sport. You can look it up. So I, I think it'll be good and inherently good for the game and pace of play, if you want to call it that. Uh, I, I don't. I think that's the one that makes the most sense of any of it. I agree with you. I want to get your take on the the service time and how they're incentivizing teams to call up players based on their rookie of the year and MVP finishing. So Mark Feinsand again, if you finish top three in rookie of the year voting, your team gets draft pick compensation. And if, if a rookie finishes top five in MVP or Cy Young voting, they also get draft pick compensation. That is a great time for this, considering Bobby Witt Jr. is coming, probably going to be on the opening day roster. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, I, they, they don't list out what kind of um, uh, draft pick compensation. It might be a fifth-round pick. Who knows? But getting any kind of draft pick compensation just for having Bobby Witt Jr. on the opening day roster seems like a win for the Royals, especially in a year where you're probably going to have Witt, Melendez, and Prado all making their debuts in the same season. I think I think it's it's one of those the idea of it makes a lot of sense and I'm cool with it, but I'm also very cynical and skeptical that it will be used properly. Like I feel like there's still like there's two different war formulas. Which one are you going to use? Are you going to use fan graphs? Or are you going to use well? That's uh, not that's baseball not, reference. This isn't, this isn't war form. This is rookie of the year. Voting oh, rookie of the year. Okay, I, thought, of the year. I, I was mixing that up with I, I remember the proposal for like arbitration stuff when it came to wins above replacement. Like in that regard. That's fine, but there, there's still like there's so many there's so much politics involved with the voting for Rookie of the Year and for Cy Young and all these other things. So, could you know teams find a way to get with that reporting? Go, hey, no, because we don't want to, you know, whatever it is. Like I just, it's to me, I just don't know if it'll, I don't know if it'll be used in a just proper way. I think the idea is great, and if it works out, then awesome. But I'm a little skeptical of how it's actually going to be implemented and used. I could see it and and you know, I, I might go, I might say it's a little bit conspiratorial, but I could see just it. Just a little bit concern. Where and yeah, especially if it's really close. If it's really close, I could see that being an issue. But I I think the general purpose of it will stand and I don't I don't know how many, you know, writers would be willing to, you know, jack up their entire vote based on you know, so the winner probably isn't in jeopardy, but that third place vote, I could see that. I could see that being an issue. Maybe not yeah. the top two. The other thing that I'm that I'm curious in is a. What I'm disappointed about is there's no more 163rd game tiebreakers. Like yeah. we had, was it the Dodgers and the no? Who played game 163 last year? Last year, I yeah, I don't know. Can't Why remember. am I blanking? <laughs> can't remember. Well, we had a game 163 last year. I watched it. It was awesome. I just can't remember who played in it at the moment. Um, the other thing they're doing 
is they're getting rid of the reseeding. So the NFL does this as well, but now it'll be like NCAA bracket play instead of NFL playoff play where the one seed will play the winner of four and five and the three seed, and I'm sorry, the two seed will play the winner of three and six. Yeah, I like so that. Instead of like, let's say the six beats the three, instead of jumping to the one like they would have done in the past, you just get the winner of four or five and the two gets the winner of three, six. So that'll be more like um, NCAA bracket play instead of like NFL or previously MLB playoff play. Do you, do you agree with that? Or do you, do you like the, cool the reseeding? I'm cool with it. I, I, I am I too. Like I think, yeah. I think the reseeding gives way too much of an advantage to the one seed, especially now, like, well, this is more NFL centric, but now that baseball and has a buy too, um, you know, the, it's it's way too much of an advantage in in some capacity. So I actually do like that they're, they're getting rid of the reseeding things, um, but that it's something that's interesting to me that they even threw that in there because yeah, it's like that's that's something that we're like who who was upset about that 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 was on the table on a ninety nine day lockout where we were threatened to miss games. It's like that's what you brought up. So I don't know. I don't know maybe where that came from, but I I am sad to see game one sixty three go, but. I guess with 12 team playoffs, maybe that's that's part of why. Yeah. And what what do you think generally about the expanded playoffs? I'm I'm indifferent about it. Like October baseball is awesome. So I guess part of it is the more the merrier, but I don't want to I don't want to dilute the regular season as well to where we watch like in some years, maybe a five hundred team get in at the end. Like I I just I don't know about that. I know it's a Are long they? season and generally in baseball the cream will rise to the top, but I I'm kind of a, I'm okay. I'm okay. Are with they that, doing two wild card games? Are they going to be three game sets? I don't know. I haven't seen anything that any of that confirmed. I haven't either. If they're playing three game sets, that could be a real disadvantage yes. to the one seed in some capacity because baseball players, uh, like, I, we'll see. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just, but it feels like just playing, like, it's not football. It's not an extreme contact sport where, you need days off, right? And having an extra week, having an extra bye week is awesome. In baseball, your timing is everything, right? And getting everything. Now, getting your pitching rotation in order will be a, a, an advantage, admittedly. But for the offense, I can I can see three days being like a lot, especially oh, if yeah. they have – so let's say you play game 162, then you have an off day, then the three-game set. You, it could be four or five days before you play again. And so – I, I don't necessarily know how much I love that. Now, if it's just two wild card games and we jump into the LDS, I am all for it. Love that. Let the four and the five duke it out for a shot at the DS. Let the three and the six duke it out for a shot at the DS. But if this is going to be three game sets, I don't know exactly how I feel about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Yeah, I think like I I hope it's still a one game playoff. I love the one game wild card. I think it is it's unlike anything else in the sport. 
because you're normally playing three game sets and you're playing a four gamer or a best of seven in the championship of world series. But the, like the anxiety of that nine inning game being do or die is unlike anything else in the sport. And I love it. And also the Royals were the beneficiaries of it back in 2014. So obviously I'm kind of okay with it. Next thing I wanted to ask you about, um, Kamar rocker rule. Yes. This is funny because Kamar rocker didn't even submit a pre-draft medical last year. Yeah. But so I don't, it wouldn't for, matter, for anybody but. not aware, any player who submits a pre-draft medical, into the draft process, the team would that drafts them has to offer them 75% of their slot value. So that was a deal with Kamar Rocker last year is people were worried about medicals. And again, he didn't even submit a pre-draft medical, which is why this is funny, but he gets drafted. They go over medicals. The Mets are like, Ooh, they balk. They don't offer him 75% of slot value. Kamar Rocker does not sign. Um, so now if you, like, let's say, Joel, you enter the draft, you submit your medicals, the Mets draft you. They're like, oh, man, he's got a torn UCL. How did we not know that? Um, they have to still offer you 75% of your slot value, which has been a problem up to this point. But it also incentivizes getting those medicals submitted. So, like, maybe if you're Kamar Rocker, you think, oh, I'm going to submit mine beforehand, unless it's really bad, and you're like, I really don't want anybody to see this, so I can right. see where – this could actually hurt the players a little bit because now if you don't submit your medical beforehand, like that's, that's a pretty glaring concern from the point of the team. So I could see it going both ways, but I could also see it incentivizing, Hey, my medical might be a, a touch off, but I'm going to submit it anyways, because anybody who drafts you get that money, it, I don't know. The The problem is though, I'm pretty sure rocker was a Boris client, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Boris clients don't send in medicals in the first place. So I wonder if that'll change anything there. It's true. It, it may not matter. And again, it may not matter because it's Bor they're Boris clients and they're going to find a way to get all the money that they can. But in the case with Kumar Rocker, it it ended up being a massive issue. He he was one of the best pitchers in all of college baseball, and he didn't get signed because of the medical issues and the you know the kind of the Mexican standoff that ended up happening between his camp and the Mets. And now he's he's not, and he doesn't didn't even end up as a free agent. He couldn't sign with any other team. So now he's coming back for 2020, this 2022 draft, having not pitched in a while. Um, I don't know if he's going to do indie ball. I don't know if he's going to just throw and train and get ready, but that'll be an interesting story to follow as we get into the season as well with what's going to happen with Kamar Rocker. That'll be like my favorite story in the draft yep. to follow is what is he going to do? Because Kamar, like, like you talked about, we can get back to the CBA in a second, but Kamar Rocker was one of the most prolific prospects I'd ever seen as a freshman, sophomore, as a junior, he starts off his season. Great. All of a sudden he starts to lose the velocity. It doesn't look as explosive. Something's clearly not right. Um, so, so we'll see how that goes back to the CBA um, less division games. And I think I always thought 19 division games was a ton. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like, you know, it's good for deciding division winners when it gets close, and it actually makes a lot of sense in some ways. But in terms of growing the brand, having every team play every other team on the schedule, I think is a great move. So yes. in 2023, there will be no more 19 games against your divisional opponents, but you will play every other team on the schedule. And so right now, the only there's only nine teams the Royals weren't playing, so it's not like they were missing out on like half the league. Because you play every team in the AL, one entire NL division, your NL Central rival, which was the Cardinals. And then, so you're not playing four NL Central teams, and this year that's not the NL East, right? So in 2023, they will play every team on the docket, which I think is awesome. It opens yes. up baseball to be – baseball is a very regional sport, and it opens it up way better to the national audience Absolutely. than it has been in, in previous years. Yeah, like that that's the thing I'm excited about this year on the 2022 schedule. The end they play the NL West. So the Dodgers, the Padres, uh the Giants all come to, to Coffin Stadium. So like those are those are games that I absolutely want to go see. And it, it's one of those that even though baseball is a very regional sport, there are stars and other teams that I'm like, I, I have to go and see that guy. So like when Fernando Tatis Jr. comes in, like people are going to come to Kauffman Stadium to watch that guy play. When the Dodgers come to town, the Dodgers have like eight superstars. People are going to come to Kauffman Stadium and go watch those guys play. And just see me, you know, vice versa. Bobby Wood Jr. lights the world on fire. People are going to want to go to the game out in San Diego to go, hey, who's this kid in Kansas City? Let's go watch him. 
So I think that's that's the one of the fun things about baseball in general, but also what this new scheduling change could allow for is more opportunities like that. Last thing I wanted to get, speaking of growing the game and, and creating a bigger audience, um, MLB and the Players Association have agreed to stage games or tours in the following places. Mexico, Asia, which I'm assuming is like Korea, Japan, Taiwan. Yes. Maybe China. Um Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, London, and Paris. This is long overdue. They should be playing games in the DR, Puerto Rico, Japan, and Korea every single year, full stop. They should be playing yes. games there all the time. The Bahamas need games. Um, I would I would say, well, I know Venezuela right now, maybe not the best option, but they need to be playing games in Venezuela when it's safe, when, it's, when they're able to do so. There are so many of these countries that are putting in so many players into the yes. talent pool of Major League Baseball that they need to go and grow the sport even further in these places. I loved when they were doing the tours in Japan. Um, yes. It was the A's in Seattle a while back, maybe. Yeah, that, it was the day they uh, each year are retired. You yeah. retire, guys are retired in Japan. Oh, Can you right. imagine the buzz with, if the they go and play a game in Japan and Shohei Otani is playing in, in the Tokyo Dome again? That would be... If Shohei Otani got to go back and play in Japan, that would be... Uh, like, I don't think people understand how Japan treats baseball. It would be one of the biggest deals in the history of Major League Baseball if they went yes. out and played a game with Otani out there right now. Yeah, and, and opportunities in Europe. I know that we're trying to grow the sport there. I think you I think you have to go out there. I know they sent Yankees Red Sox a couple of years ago to London, uh, which was kind of cool. And I know they, play, they played in a soccer stadium or a mm -hmm. cricket ground, I think, actually. And so that... Yeah, that, so that made it interesting. I, I think those are just opportunities you have to try and take. And if they're willing to do it, then go do it. And I hope they do the Field of Dreams game again. I think those little, um, that like that atmosphere for White Sox and Yankees was awesome. I don't want them to overdo it, but once a year, once every couple of years, do little like Sandlot games like that. Like when they did, a couple of years ago, they did a game at Fort Bragg, North Carolina uh, for the troops, which I thought was awesome as a military kid. That was really cool. I think that finding little opportunities like that, um, playing a game. I know they did it with the uh, the Royals and the Tigers playing a game in Omaha right before the College World Series, doing the Little League World Series game. Find any of those opportunities where you can and take them and do it. Uh, the sport, like it was, the lockout, nearly lasted 100 days, and I know that casual fans probably didn't care, and so that's part of and that's part of the problem. And so I think you have to find any way you can to not just let the season be the season, like find ways to do cool stuff to get into like into these casual markets again to try and grow the sport because the sport had a ton of growth in 2020, 2021 compared to other years because of how awesome some of these superstars are. Continue to talk about how awesome these superstars are in smaller areas. I agree 100%. And you, you know what they could do to grow baseball in some of these smaller areas? What? They should add minor league baseball teams to like some of these places that are like far away from mm -hmm. from big league stadiums. Yeah, I know. Like it's not like there was what forty teams that that had teams there uh, that don't anymore. Thank thanks for that one, old, uh, Uncle Rob. Appreciate it. Um, so another part of what's going to make the next couple of days insane is because the lockout lasted so long, free agency was halted, and so now teams are reporting in three days. Guys don't want to be sitting around. We could have a massive flood of free agency moves and trades happening fast. I thought we were going to see stuff at like 610 when the uh, when the CBA got ratified. It was, but uh, I, we, know, we don't know what was happening behind the scenes, but I don't think one team wanted to be the first one to jump the gun because there could be some chatter about how they got a deal done so fast. Well, and so I saw Andy McCall tweet that. like, let's see which teams were the best at tampering. Like, can we can we rewind and acknowledge the fact that Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay just happened to be at the same resort in Mexico on vacation the day the trade was announced? Like, can we, like, and nothing happened. There was no tampering. There was no nothing. I was like, what are we... Are you kidding me? Like nobody says anything about this. There's no penalties. Whatever. I'm. I'm a. But and and back to the tampering thing with Major League Baseball. Like I don't think anybody would say anything. I think baseball. No, I don't think so benefit, either. Baseball I, I just, would benefit so much from a free agency frenzy right now. I think they'd look the other way and just let people go crazy. Um, 
I was looking, I got fan graphs, the list of their top free agents pulled up of who is still unsigned. Like here's a list of guys who could sign potentially the next 24 hours. It's Carlos Correa, Carlos Rodon, Freddie Freeman, Nick Castellanos, Chris Bryant, Trevor Story, Clayton Kershaw, Kyle, Kyle Schwarber, Jonathan Villar, Tyler Anderson, Nelson Cruz, Matt Harvey, Colin McC- well, Matt Harvey may not be signing with anybody lately. Nelson, uh, Cruz, retired. Nelson Cruz retired yesterday. Did he? Oh, I yeah. missed that. Yeah, no, I, didn't retired. That. I, I forgot all about that. Oh, man. Kenley Jansen's on there. But like, there's there are some huge names. That, man, I am upset. I forgot Nelson Cruz retired. Um, but anyway, yeah, there's some big names. If if all these guys start signing at once, like this could be a, yeah. a crazy free agency period that baseball almost never has because it's such a long off season. It'll end up sitting, it'll end up being like NFL and NBA free agency for like the first time ever, where you have all of these signings and massive contracts given out all at once. That dominates the news cycle. And that's one thing that is unique and I don't think is always great about baseball is that it is a long off season. So you have these little bombshells that'll pop up you know, over the course of three months, whereas now we're going to get them all within two days. Or, you know, I, I don't think any of these guys last more than one week on the market. I think they're going to want to no. get into their camps as fast as they can. To talk well, about yeah, the mandatory, for a second. Yeah. yeah, mandatory report date being Sunday. I bet this weekend we see just an explosion of free agency. Yeah, so when now, let's talk a little bit about the Royals. This is a Royals podcast. Do you think the Royals do anything in free agency? I don't mm-hmm. think so. Maybe a small deal here or there, but I think a lot of what they're going to do this year is predicated with their young guys that they want to give run to because they're going to be the ones that are going to help propel this team forward, not just for this year, but beyond that. So I, I, I could see a scenario where maybe they go and get a couple of veterans here and there and let the young guys just kind of go. I do think they'll add pitching. Um, yeah. I think, I think you're right with the position players. I don't like, unless, unless they just have their eye on like a Michael Conforto and they are dead set on signing a Michael Conforto and like trading Andrew Benintendi or Kyle Isbell, then maybe. Um, but I think they let the kids play in the lineup on the pitching side of things. There's a lot of guys I could see them signing. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to get Matthew Boyd to come pitch at the K on like a one year prove it deal, one year, 15, $16 million just to say, Hey, Come to Kauffman Stadium, make a bunch of. We'll pay you a bunch of money for one year. No such thing as a bad one-year deal. Yeah, huge stadium, great defense, great lineup behind you. Like, come see if you can get yourself a long-term deal, resurrect your career a little bit in one of the biggest stadiums with one of the best defenses in the game. Like Garrett Richards is a free agent. Um, Martin Perez, I think, would make a little bit of sense. Like, there's just there's some starters who I could see coming into Kauffman Stadium having a new stadium, a new defense. And I just think there's there's pitching help that this team still needs. Like in yeah. terms of reassurance, like right now, if they roll their their rotation out there, it's got a ton of upside. But in a 162-game season, it would be nice to have like another Mike Miner from last year where, hey, Mike, go eat innings until your arm falls off. Like you're getting paid not to be good. You're getting paid to take innings off the backs of our young guys. And the Royals bullpen – through a ton of innings last year. They cannot do that to that bullpen again. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went out and got a starter just to, to try to give them some value at the top of rotation, just to eat the innings that they don't want young guys eating. You mentioned Garrett Richards, and that name kind of intrigues me because he did a little bit of both for San Diego last year. He threw out of the bullpen. He threw or, uh, for the Red Sox, my bad. Um, yeah, he, he threw out of the bullpen. He started a little bit. I think if you can get a guy that can kind of do both, and like, hey, you know, hey, we have our young guys, Lynch and Singer and Coart. They're all healthy. They're all good to go. Go to the bullpen. We'll use you as a multi-inning guy. You know, let that fastball eat at the back end of the bullpen. I could see them getting somebody that can kind of do both to kind of fill two spots with one guy. I think that seems like a scenario that the Royals could do. But they also have some young guys that are going to come up in the bullpen this year that are going to, you know, they're, they're probably going to take that spot from Garrett Richards. But at least for three and a half months, you use up Garrett Richards. You if he and if he pitches really well, you trade him at the deadline and see what you can get for him and let a, a contender go get him. Yeah, I've got I've got absolutely nothing um against that. I think they 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 are incentivized to do that this year, especially in a year where I think admittedly we all expect the Royals to be right below that playoff threshold again, even yep. with the expanded playoffs. 
they are a year away. I wouldn't want to see them like with a, with a Matthew Boyd type, like, you know, I, I wouldn't want to see them overpay for someone like that. Like don't overpay or I'm sorry, the money for a one-year deal. I'm not even worried about it's, it's yeah. the, don't put yourself in a situation like with when you signed Mike minor last year, where it's a two year deal. And now it's 2023, you're ready to go. And you still have Carlos Santana, Mike minor, et cetera, on contract. Like, Go find a guy willing to take a one-year high-dollar deal to see if they can resurrect something um, for your team. But as long as that doesn't include extending years onto a contract for a, for a very iffy guy, otherwise, I'm all for it. Go sign a bunch of one-year deals. And let's just see what happens. Yeah. So I, I only have a couple more thoughts here, but I want to gauge you based on how you felt today and yesterday. When did you really get the feeling like, oh, this is actually going to get done? Like We, were, we weren't going to delay this anymore the deal was actually going to get done and we were going to have the full season like 12 hours ago. Yeah. I, at best. Yeah. I, I, I tried to not let myself get my hopes up because I got got last weekend or last week. I really thought they were actually going to get it done by the, the arbitrary deadline that was set uh, and not the third arbitrary deadline that was set. I thought there was a chance yesterday, but I, I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. I did not fully believe that it was actually going to happen until I saw Passon's tweet. I, I wasn't going to let that happen. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to let that happen to myself again. I think this morning was Evan. What's that? What's his last Evan name? Drellich. Yeah. Drellich. I think this morning he tweeted out the CBT thresholds that were a part of the. Was it a part of the? Was it the players' union last night? that they proposed whatever it was. And I was like, Oh, like those numbers make sense. That's not terrible. Yeah. And once they announced that they had punted the international for passing tweeted, it was, it was passing's last tweet before, before he, he got, got hacked, hacked that they were punting the international draft to July 25th. I was like, Oh man, they're going to get it done today. Like if, if that was the last thing they were worried about and they got that pushed to July 25th, like we're playing ball today. Like I really believed it. And then the only thing I, that, even caused me concern all afternoon was John Heyman's tweet about um, the Mets not liking the deal or whatever, which was dumb. But that, that's, anyway. I think it was the it was the subcommittee tweet because there's the 38 votes that uh, the 38 people that voted on the CBA, all 30 player reps, and then an eight person subcommittee that is hired by the Players Association. Yeah, those that, eight people all voted against it, which I don't understand yeah that that uh, sometimes that's that's posing and posturing yes, and that yes. but it was it was actually the Mets tweet that it that was like like there's like two Mets players who don't like it and I was like wait wait wait, wait. why well, are what's happening here what what is what is relevant about this I didn't understand the point of that tweet and so for a minute I was like wait a minute and I balked at that a little bit but otherwise ever since like 8 a.m I've been full go on playing ball today and, and it was Passon's tweet about the international draft that I was like we are we are going we're playing like this is getting done today um and I've been I've been fired up all day I'm so glad I didn't have to go to school today <laughs> the, the international once I saw the international draft tweet I kind of turned my head I was like okay maybe this will happen um but I didn't fully dive in and I had this just you know huge I was like yeah I'm freaking out at my desk because I need, I just needed some release of emotion that's just been sitting there because it's just been a giant ball of anxiety for the last about 36 hours trying to see if they're actually going to get this done. And what's fascinating is we actually know that Dayton Moore was on a plane yesterday going to Phoenix. So, I mean, things have obviously been in the works. And if they're able, if you know, if he knew and he was flying down to Phoenix, obviously he knows a little more than we do, but that was a pretty good indication that's a pretty good indication that they knew that this was going to get done and get done fast. Once they were able to get just agree on something, you knew the ball was going to start rolling downhill and we were going to get going. And that seemed, that seemed to be the case. I think it was, once they got the international draft thing and once they were close enough on the, the luxury tax that the rest kind of fell into place. And now we're, we're in the position we're at where we're getting a full 162. Yep. I am. I'm fired up. I, I miss spring training. I didn't get to go. I went in 2020 right before everything hit the fan. So I missed 2021. I missed 2022. Hopefully I'll be back to spring training next year. I miss it. I miss Arizona. I miss Surprise. Surprise is a cool little town. So I yeah, miss I'm, Phoenix I'm trying miss golfing to... in the weather when it's cold mm -hmm. here. So I'm, I'm trying to go down to spring training. I have a buddy who lives down in Florida and he's like, no, I'll come to spring training here. No, I'm going to go to Arizona. 
Like the, the, the cactus league is just superior. It, it is, it's a superior experience for spring training. And I'm trying to go down next year, hopefully, and, and make that a, an annual thing because it is really opening cool, weekend. Especially, yeah. Especially when you can, you can go on the backfields and watch the young guys and then hop over to the big league field and, and go watch those guys. And then you can make a 30 minute drive and catch a night game all within, you know, mm-hmm. 30 minutes of each other. I think it's, is the Dodgers stadium? No, is the diamondbacks talking stick. Who's staying? Yeah, they're talking, they're talking, they're talking. It's the angels and the diamondbacks. I think it's talking. Yeah. Beautiful stadium. Mm -hmm. Absolutely gorgeous. I love, and they, they play more at night for some reason. So I do exactly what you just said. I go backfields, surprise, grab some in and out burger, and then head straight to talking stick. There you go. To catch a night game is a beautiful stadium out there. Let's go to opening weekend next, next spring. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I went one of the times I went, I've only been out there twice uh, for separate events, but uh, I went to a game out at Camelback Ranch where the Dodgers mm-hmm. and the White Sox are, which is cool. Like the seats all look, they're all the kind of the faded yellow seats. Like you get mm-hmm. at Dodger Stadium. They have Dodger dogs. It, that was a really cool. And I watched Yasiel Puig hit two balls that were about 450 feet each, which was kind of fun. That's um, awesome. You know, spring training yeah. is great. Spring training is going to be happening soon. We're going to have baseball at the K at the beginning of April. We're not delayed more than a week. God bless America. I was, I was, when I was talking to Alec Lewis, we were both like middle of May hopefully but we're we're gonna get that uh april 7th april april 7th is opening day red sox yankees is your first game of the season couldn't happen any better yeah shocking but i mean anybody will watch that and it's red sox yankees like that's that's just you have to and then the royals will play the cleveland guardians that's gonna take me forever to get right consistently but baseball vfk friday april 8th Stay locked on here, guys. Thank you so much for everybody that was tuning in, watching this live impromptu show. Uh, We will be back next week. Check out on Monday. uh, Royals Farm Report will be up. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, some observations uh, regarding the minor league camps and some stuff that's going on there. And then I'll be back at the end of next week starting to preview the season. Uh, We'll have guys in minor league camp. Hopefully we'll have some spring training games to talk about. We appreciate everybody. Thanks again to Kansas City Strength and Conditioning for sponsoring this show. And we'll talk to you all soon. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.